0: Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, we're in a series called Marked. It's the first one we're doing of this series, and it's I'm just starting today. You're here on the ground floor, and uh, it is called by the Savior. We believe that. We believe that we've been marked and called, and I'm going to be preaching this series leading into uh, Resurrection Sunday, which is just a few weeks away. April 4th is Resurrection Sunday. And so we're right around the corner from uh, the Super Bowl of churches, but uh, it's a great opportunity to invite people. Uh, I, I, we want you to invite friends, family, and everyone you can for Resurrection Sunday. We believe that God is doing great things here, and not only that, but with the pandemic coming to hopefully its final conclusion soon. We believe people need to turn back to God and get in direct connection more than ever before. So what does it mean to have the calling of God? I heard someone once say that God's calling requires action. In fact, God's calling is like a collect call. And when he calls, you better be ready to accept the charges. There's this book, and it's called uh, The Power of Response – of God's calling. And in it, it says this, God did not direct his call to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard God saying, who will go for us? The calling of God is not just for a select few, but for everyone. Whether I hear God's calling or not depends on the condition of my ear and exactly what I hear depends on my spiritual attitude. I think that's it. We, we believe this. In Harrison Faith, everyone who comes to Harrison Faith is a minister. You've been called by God. You've been called to preach the gospel, to share, to make disciples of all people. Everyone here. This is not just uh, a calling for a pastor or a credentialed minister. It's the calling of the believer to make disciples. Disciple makers make disciples. You guys are the greatest resource that the church ever had for missions, you're the greatest resource for discipleship, for salvations. In fact, you are the greatest untapped resource that that, that we could ever and, and God over and over and over encouraged us to stop being untapped and start allowing ourselves to answer into the call of God. And so I've entitled to today's message, it's gonna cost you something. Because I'm gonna lay in a little heavy on this first message, and I want you to know so uh, that I'm doing so. I'm not gonna take it easy on this first one, because I believe for some reason which started way before there was ever a COVID-19, that many of us have taken a back seat to what God's called us to do. I believe that this pandemic, all it did is speed up uh, some things that were already going on. And God needs people to step up to the calling more than ever before. In Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, it says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. Where they were walking along and they asked them, who do people say that I am? Great question Jesus asked his disciples, right? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist because John had recently been beheaded in Mark chapter 6. And so they thought maybe he'd been reincarnated uh, or re- uh, uh, rose from the dead. And some say that you're Elijah they say that, uh, or one of the other prophets because re- reincarnation was one of the common beliefs of that era. So they thought maybe that was it. But verse 29, he says... But Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you're the Messiah. This Greek term comes in and translates to the anointed one. Peter says, you are the anointed one. Verse 30, then Jesus warned him not to tell anyone about it. You ever wonder why Jesus does stuff like that? Like he asks questions and then he drifts or he says something just uh, off the cuff. Or then he asks you who he is. He says, no, don't tell nobody. Like, Why did you even ask us then if this is the reason why? But this is what he did. And in verse 31, he goes on, he says, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer terrible things, be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, and he would be killed. But three days later, he would rise from the dead. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate resurrection Sunday. That's what it's all about. It's about a savior who gave his life for himself and died on a cross and rose again for us. It's this reason that we celebrate. And as they talked uh, about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus, why would you say such things like this? Don't you know things are going real well? This is, this is not cool. This is not good. Listen, first of all, we need to talk up. We don't need to talk down. Don't be negative. Why you got to go negative? You're not going to die. You're not going to, not, we're not going to be flogged and beaten. Look at all the crowds following you. It's amazing how quick things change, isn't it? One minute you can go along and say, God has called us and we're on the fire for God and our family's going to serve God. And then the tragedy hits and you're like, this isn't God. Why did this happen? I've been serving God. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. Why is this now what I'm facing? Why is this the problem that's before me? Why is all of a sudden that I'm looking around, is this what's happening to us? Verse 33, then Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, (laughs) he said. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Can you imagine the tension in the conversation? Here's the tension of the conversation. Jesus is getting them ready for what's about to come. He's saying, listen, you've been called, you've been marked, but it's not going to come easy. It's not without a price. You've been called, you've been marked by God, but let me tell you something. Persecution's going to come, and and not only that, but they're going to take me away I'm going to die on a cross, but I'm going to. But it's going to be okay because I'm going to raise, rise again in three days. So you don't have to worry about it. And and Peter's infuriated, aggravated. pulls his Why are you telling everybody such negative things? And Jesus turns around to Peter and says, "Get behind me, Satan! I'm for you, Jesus. Why, why, why are you rebuking me? I'm for you. I'm rooting for you. I'm for this. I've been bought in from the beginning. Listen, I'm the one. I'm your rock. Don't you remember?" Don't you remember? My faith is secure. And it's easy to serve God when you're seeing miracles, seeing uh, people come, the crowds come. But what do you do when there's no crowds? When nobody's picking up the phone and calling, when nobody's checking on you, when everybody's isolating from one another, nobody's allowed to talk to one another more than six feet. What do you do when a pandemic's isolated everyone off to the point where you're, you're not supposed to? Have those kind of conversations. See, Jesus always digs in right into the problem. He says, you're acting like a consumer instead of a follower. You're acting like someone who just sits in and just enjoys it. And when it's not enjoyable anymore, you decide you're going to a different show. Here's the problem, church. When we get to the place where we can pack out a Sunday morning service but we can't pack out a life group, there's a problem. Okay. okay, listen, when we get to the point where we can pack out a Sunday morning service but we can't get people to host at the door, there's a problem. When we get to the point where we can get people to come in and raise hands and worship and celebrate and say, man, this is powerful, I feel the presence of God here, but you can't get people to go out and share their faith, there's a problem. Because we were never called to be entertained. We were called <laughs> to be disciples makers. Marked by God to share the gospel, to share our faith with everyone. With everyone. There has never been anyone who's been called to come in week after week, sit on a pew and say, that year sure was good. Oh, you stepped on my toes today, Pastor. I mean, those things are all good. Pat me on the back. Pat Kester, Caleb on the back. Pat, Pat our evangelist. Pat Randy on the back. That's fine. That's great. We need encouragement on <laughs> them. Mondays are good, you know. <laughs> You're uh, yeah. But, but the reality is, is none of that does good. Is all we did is move to an emotional point. You see, there's got to be something that clicks with us that's beyond an altar experience. It's not enough anymore to preach you into an emotional state that your heart is overtaken that you get down to an altar and you cry and you weep it out and you say, boy, that felt good, I've changed forever, and then go out and don't do anything different than what you've done. You've got to have this place where it's beyond the altar. It's after this, then what? We've been called to do what? Make disciples, not converts discipleship. When I say life groups, listen, it's so different than Sunday school. My parents went to Sunday school, and uh, they would go out with their Sunday school. They would have Christmas parties with their Sunday school. They would call and check on their Sunday schools. If we were going to miss church, my parents tried to come by and make sure we went to Sunday school before we left to go to a family reunion. Now life groups just give us this new term that allows us to have it any night of the week, at any time, whether it be a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever night it is, and we have more opportunity to be discipled and we have less engagement. There's a problem. And then we have this. People say, I just don't feel connected. I just don't feel the church is as friendly as it used to be. And to which I first ask, oh my goodness, what life group have you joined? Well, I'm not involved in life group. Oh my goodness, well, where are you serving at? Well, I'm not serving anywhere. Well, if you're not getting connected with other people in smaller areas, of course you're going to feel isolated because there's nothing that feels great about coming and sitting in a pew, distancing apart, putting on a mask, coming in and leaving, and not having very intimate, very meaningful conversations. I don't feel very connected that way either. It's a necessary thing we have to do during this time frame, but it doesn't connect people. I get connected when I choose to get involved beyond this moment. And you were marked more and marked for more than just the Sunday morning experience. You've got to understand that. This is not an age thing, this isn't a youth thing. this isn't a middle age thing this isn't a retirement thing if you are here and you are sitting in the pew today God is speaking to you to be engaged engaged in worship yes engaged in preaching yes but beyond this what are you doing how are you getting discipled how are you growing in your faith how are you connecting with other believers how are you finding other interests that you're getting connected we our strength is in each other Jesus sees the confusion on their eyes as they're telling them this because he says you're only seeing this from a human point of view and in verse 34 he says then calling the crowd to join the disciples he said come on in let me make this a little clear.' and he says if any of you want to be my follower you must give up your own way you got to tell yourself no take up your cross and follow me wait a minute I you See, the cross, it, to us, is a very religious symbol. It's a very powerful symbol. There's something about the power of the cross, the blood that ran down the cross to us. But to them, this was a, an execution. Take up your suffering and follow me is what he's saying. Jesus, I, got, I came to you because I wanted to leave suffering. Jesus, I came to you because I wanted to get out of financial hardship. Jesus, I came to you because I didn't want to fight with my spouse anymore. Jesus, I came to you because I didn't want to pick up any crosses. I wanted to pick up that other thing, the blessing. All this morning it was on my mind. I, I can't sing, so I was singing in the shower, and then Sandra came in, so I hummed instead. Um, <laughs> she, she loves my humming better than my singing. Um, but, I, but, I, but when I got in the car, I blasted it, and I blasted it all the way to McDonald's to get my latte this morning. I blasted it all the way to church, and, and it's just that, that, that song that says he didn't tell me that the road would be easy and that the cross would not be heavy, but he'd show up just in the nick of time. And when I began to play it, I played the crab version when they were singing with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. It was awesome. It was powerful. Surround sound speakers. It's going in the truck. Uh, I, I was worshiping in the car. Listen, before I got here, I was ready. Because he never promised it was going to be easy. And for some reason, we think that it's always supposed to be easy. And when it's not easy, something's wrong. Let me tell you, sometimes serving God is hard. Sometimes there's going to be persecution. Sometimes it's not going to be easy. Sometimes you're going to have trouble with your finances and the bill collectors are going to call. Sometimes people are not going to pay their debts to you when you own a business. You're going to be mad, you're going to be bitter, and you're going to be saying, My goodness, I can't believe sometimes you're going to be standing and you're going to say, I saw the way they acted in front of that person. I can't believe they go to church. Sometimes you're going to lose your cool in the middle of a basketball game and feel guilty walking out the door, and you're going to mess up, and you're going to feel so bad. But you know what? Sometimes it's not easy. Especially when the same kid keeps fouling your child. (laughs) Hit my child, hit my baby one more time. And let me just tell you, sometimes grandmas are worse than uh, dads, and I'm just throwing that out there. I've been to the small schools, and then grandmas, whoo, come on. They were raised different. (laughs) Things weren't always easy when they were growing up. They don't mind throwing some elbows. Anyway, (laughs) I'm just being serious. But here's what I've learned. We've got to give up our rights to do things. What is it with us that we think we're entitled as Christians to, to be able to do and say no to certain things? I don't have to be nice because they blasted me on Facebook. Where's that scriptural? I don't like their political affiliation. So what? I don't like what they post. They need Jesus more than why, why are we blocking people? And, and, and I mean, so, Okay. If you're blocking people for your sanity reasons so you won't say hateful things, that's okay. (laughs) Because some of you need to block somebody before you lose (laughs) it. But some of you are blocking people because you're hateful. And that's not okay. See, when we say that every soul matters to God here at Harrison Faith, we mean every soul matters to God, whether they line up with me or they don't line up with me. And it's easy to, to minister to people who line up with your view. That said in your circle, but the people who don't? The people who don't line up with the way you think all the time? It, it's, it's, it's also amazing to me that we get so mad at the other side buying into such fake news and such fake things, and then we will go to some of the most obscure websites and, and call that news. You're wrong too. The only news that you can trust is one from. <laughs> the scriptures—it's the good news. It really is the only news you can trust. Don't buy into all these things. Don't buy. Sometimes people quote. Listen, I was reading on, and if I say something, I'm going to offend somebody, so I'm not. But listen, come on. Some of these, some of these, when you when you say the word of where it came from, you have to know that's not that's not real. That's not a real news. Story. Come on. All right, y'all, maybe I don't know. If you have questions, ask Caleb, he'll tell you. (laughs) I got you. His email address is Caleb Hester. (laughs) At (laughs) HarrisonFaith.org. All right. (laughs) Listen, he goes on in verse 35. If you're trying to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, this good news, the gospel, you'll save it. If you're trying to hang on to your old way of life, I like things the way it was before the pandemic. I like the things the way they were before this happened. I like the way things were when I was growing up. I like the things were... Listen, that's fine. Hold on to that. You're going to lose everything. God is constantly changing and evolving the way we meet people's needs, but God himself has never changed, and his precepts have never changed. He is still the same today, yesterday, forever. How we meet people, how we meet people's needs is is different, but let me tell you, things are just different. The needs that my grandmother have are not the same needs that my kids have. It's just different. There was a time where you didn't need two parties in the house working at the same time. Now it's very difficult for any couple to make it financially without both parties working. It's just tough. Things are different. Things have changed. So how do you how do you minister to a working class where everybody's working and you have latchkey kids who are coming in and getting off the bus and get there? Well, now they're not even latchkey kids when kids are zooming, and you both have to work. And so some of you can work from home, and some of you can't work from home, and you're trying to figure it out. And your kids are driving you crazy, or you think it's the best thing in the world. I don't know what side of the crazy we fall on, but you know whichever side of the crazy you fall on, it's just tough. Here he goes on. He says. But if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. Here's what I get at this, and here's what I I want you to soak this in just for a minute. For them, they would literally lose their lives for following Christ. But for us, not so much. So why do we fight against giving up our own will and answering the call so much harder than they do? Why do we fight it so much harder than they do when they were going to lose their life and we won't lose ours? In fact, when's the last time you were truly surrendered to what God has called you to do? We have a lot of false starts in the church. And I told you it's going to lean heavy. Every week won't be this heavy, I promise. But I want to lean heavy in this way because I want you to understand, we have a lot of false starts. Pastor Brian, I feel like God is calling me to start blank. Okay, great, when when are you going to start? No start. Pastor Ryan, I feel like God is calling me to help with this area. Great, when can you start? No show up. A lot of false starts. A lot of, lot of excitement in the moment, but very little follow through. When did the calling leave? God called you, but then he didn't. I don't understand. What happens is we get tied up with life. Anytime you say yes to God, you better get ready because immediately you're going to be faced with something. You think the enemy lets go that easy? You think the enemy says, sure, you should totally start this. Go for it and have your, my blessing. No, he says, how can I stop it? Right. Anytime you say yes, you put the enemy on notice. Anytime you say yes, you put the enemy on notice, and he wants to stop and hinder you and stop you right before you can get any further. Jesus looks at the stunned faces, and he looks at them, and he's wondering, uh, You know what they're thinking, they're thinking, is this a good idea? Should we follow him? This seems a little crazy now. And so Jesus broadens his idea, and he goes on to verse 36. He says, And what would you do if you gained, or what benefit to you would it be if you gained the whole world, but lose, pay with your own soul? You gained everything you want. All these things you've been hoping for, you thought would come out as following me. What if you gained it all but you lost your soul? If you had the opportunity to have everything you ever wanted in, in this world, if you had your opportunity to have everything you ever desired but lost your soul, is it worth it? While they were thinking, he goes on, he says, is, it, is anything worth more than your soul? It is no good to gain the whole world and lose your own soul because at the end, at the very end of this life, I would give up everything I have to get my soul back. So is anything worth more than my soul? No. And we sell out time and time again, over and over and over for the immediate and we sell out the eternal for what's right in front of us every time. Do you deny yourself Or do you lose yourself? Verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, which I think we're living in right now, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in all the glory of his Father and the holy angels. There's a day of reckoning coming. There's a day when the holy angels are going to come. There's a day when it's coming, and we're wondering if he's going to come back. In fact, we've heard this preached all our life. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. In fact, at Easter, we're going to say, hey, he rose again, and one day he's coming back for all of us, and we're going to get excited, and we're going to be so uh, pumped up because one day he's coming back, and we won't be here. There'll be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more hurting over there. Everybody, there's going to be singing and rejoicing over there. We're excited about that. But then somewhere along the process, we lose hope. But let me tell you what he did. He told him that he would be arrested, and he was. He told him that he would be beaten, and he was. He told him he'd be killed, and he was. And he told him he would rise again on the third day, and he did. So maybe, just maybe, He said he's coming back. He's coming back. The question I have for us here at this church is how many are we going to take with us? Give you a few thoughts and then I'm going to close up here. Following Jesus will cost you no matter where you live. The point is, salvation is free, but it's going to cost you something. Salvation is free, it costs nothing, but following Christ will eventually cost you something. See, I give up here receive Christ for free. It's no charge. He's already paid the price. But continuing to following after that moment is going to cost you something. You may never have to die for your faith, but you have to die to some things for your faith. There will come a day or a season when following Jesus is going to cost you. Believing is painless. Church attendance is painless. Cost costs you nothing. Except for a phone call from Pastor Brian wondering where you've been. But eventually, following Jesus will cost you something. I remember when I was in high school. When I was in high school, my junior year, I finally got serious about God. I was playing. I, I, I was... I wanted uh, I, to fulfill my own desires. I wanted to do things. I raised the church all my life. I knew the Word of God. I knew the Scripture. I knew it all, but I, was just, I just didn't want to let go of that life. I was it a revival in my junior year, and I, I'll never forget it. I, I've told this story before, but I was down at the altar and got up and getting ready to leave and go do what I always did because you know it was easy to ask for forgiveness over and over and over again than really do true repentance, which is turning away from my sin. So I was always doing that guilt thing. I feel bad. Sorry, God. Messed up again. Then I go and do what I wanted to do. I remember Saunders' dad, who wasn't my father-in-law then, said, boy, I'm praying coals of fire up on your head till you get right with God. Story goes on. I left that night with my girlfriend, and we got in a wreck, and I, I remember those words. The next night I came back to revival and I gave my heart to God and something changed in me. I was I didn't care what people thought anymore. I didn't care what people said anymore. And that year I I, I was I got involved with our Bible club. It was just a handful of kids. In fact, at that point, it was maybe 10, 15 kids in our Bible club, and we would meet it at lunch or meet before school. And I just I just remember I was just getting so far for God. That year. For whatever reason, they elected me to be the, the president of, of the Bible Club, and, which was crazy because really, I hadn't really started following God very long. But I was so on fire for God. I just spent a whole weekend. I got with some of the other officers, and I said, we just got to believe God for doing great things, and, and we were praying over the summer. We'd meet once a month, and when it got time to start school, I got the principal to let me go in all the homerooms, and so we, we went to all the homerooms, and before we knew it, we had uh, more students sign up than what could fit in a classroom. So he says, you know what, you can meet in the drama room where they have a theater room, and there's about, oh, 100 seats there, so you can probably meet there just fine. We kept going along, and he says, we got more than 100 students signed up. He says, oh my goodness, he said, you'll have to meet in the gym. We were the first club that was too big to meet anywhere else that met in the gym with over 236 Bible club members. Wow. Wow. We got churches to donate Bibles so that every student had an opportunity to receive a Bible at school. We spoke, we, did, we brought in other pastors, we, did, we, we just prayed and just saw God do miraculous things. I'll never forget the first time I led someone to the Lord at a high school cafeteria. I got to the point where I just didn't care. The calling inside was burning greater than the fear on the outside. And I remember sitting across from a young lady and just going through the Roman road because I just learned the Roman road of how to lead someone to the Lord. And I started going through the Roman road, and students from all over started coming and listening to what we were saying. And And, 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 dude, you know, it's just amazing because I I didn't get quieter, I got louder. Some kind of boldness overtook me. And through that, we saw student after student after student after student come to know Jesus at, at at our high school. I can't always explain how God works, but I just know there's something when you choose no longer to be afraid when you choose faith over fear something begins to happen there's events around my ministry that i can tell you time and time again that don't make sense i didn't have a lot of mentors growing up i didn't have a lot of schooling i didn't know a lot in fact most of the things i I even learned in scripture i learned much after i I got out of uh and started being a youth pastor through growing my faith and and (coughs) to watch God do some of the things he did in the youth ministries. We have people serving on mission fields that are in our youth ministries, worship leaders, kids pastors, youth pastors, and senior pastors all around the world through the ministries that we've been able to be a part of. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. There's just something. There's a cost to being afraid, and there's a reward for standing up and doing what God's called you to do. When we came here, we never lived outside of Texas. Never lived outside of Texas. And I, I remember we drove down, uh, we had a, one of those little old GPSs before your phone would do that for you, and it took us down State eight, 7. My wife is severely car sick. She, she, it doesn't take much for her to get car sick, so we turn and we come up Russellville all the way up to 7, and by the time we get here, she goes, I, I, before we talk to the church or anybody, she goes, I can't do this. If this is the way home to see my mom and dad every, every time, and this is the way to get back, I, I can't do this. And I'm like, well, let's just hear what they say. <laughs> so we come in, and I, I remember the interview and and everything. We just felt so good about it. Well, I felt good about it. She still wasn't sure. I remember we were at the hotel after meeting with the board and meeting uh, with the staff, and and uh, Wes, uh, who was associate pastor, called and said that they they are extending us the, the job offer. And I looked at Sondra, I said, they extended the job offer, what do you think? She goes, I don't know, you, whatever you say, we'll do. She just wasn't sure, she, she had a lot of fear, a lot of apprehension. So you know what, we took that leap of faith and we grew up here, and I remember the first night, I've told this before, but our kids are downstairs, uh, and we got a, a st- we were up on Pilot's Knob, and uh, in a little cabin that Wes had found us because we couldn't look for a house ourselves, and I just put all the kids in bed in the basement. I sat, laid in bed with Sondra, and I said, all the kids are crying, and they're wanting to go back to Texas. She rolls over and looks at me, tears come out her eyes. She goes, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? What God did after that moment, since that time we've seen kids saved, we've seen adults saved, we've seen lives changed. If you were to ask my wife today, she wouldn't want to move anywhere else. She's happy. She, she wants to be here. She does this is where God called her. This is where she wants to retire. This is where God, she sees God. I mean, we take a miracle to move her now, more so than before. Now we've spent more of our married life in Arkansas than we have in Texas. Uh, our kids have only really known Arkansas now. Uh, God has done a lot of things, but why? It was answering the call of God when everything else told us to just stay where we are because it's comfortable and it's easy. What would you trade for comfortable and easy? I'm tired of being comfortable and easy. I realize that coming out of a very difficult time, and a lot of you guys have businesses, that's a lot's been put on the line with having to wear things, not wear things, social distance. I realize it's been crazy getting parts, getting all, not parts. I, I realize it's already been difficult. But for the kingdom of God, which is worth so much more than our, our physical body, it's an eternity. What would you do to be uncomfortable so that you could answer the call? Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Salvation is free, it costs you nothing, but following Christ will eventually cost you something. I'm just going to close right there. I'm not going to go through the rest of it, but I will tell you this. All the people who walked away, and several people walked away from Jesus. In fact, whenever he started talking, and he got a little crazy, and he started talking about, uh, <laughs> this is, you know, you got to eat of my body and drink of my blood. And they thought, this is crazy. They started walking around, and they left him. you know what happened to the people who left Jesus throughout his ministry? Me neither. But the people who followed with the and turned the world upside down for the cause of Christ. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but we've got a world that needs to be turned upside down for Christ. We do. There's a lost and dying generation out there that needs to know Jesus. We need people to serve in the church, we need people to serve outside the church. We need people to step up to the call in the house and out of the house. But we need no one to sit down and do nothing. God is calling you in fact some of you are in here God has already been speaking to you in fact it's just crazy I'm talking about this stuff and you're like God was already messing with my heart and telling me I need to do this and it's crazy I wasn't even gonna be here today and then I showed up and I feel this pull in my heart I feel this tug and I, I really feel like God just really uh, overwhelming me this morning with what he's wanting me to do and I'm just nervous I'm scared but I just know that this is what God had in the for this message today I believe that. I believe God brought you here for this message because God didn't leave you to be sitting on a pew doing nothing. He's called you. So if I could ask everybody to stand up just for a moment. If you're in this place, if you say, God has called me, I don't know what God's calling you to do. Maybe he's wanting you to start something that's brand new. Man, praise God. But if God is calling you this morning and you're feeling the tug, you're feeling the pull, you're feeling that overwhelming urgency, I'm going to invite you to come to the front this morning. You can distance yourself out across the front. I'm not even going to come down to lay hands on you. All I want you to do is say, I'm going to take the first step. But I want you to understand this. I want you to start off in your mind saying this, no false starts. It's hard. Because when I say that, I realize that's going to put some of you from stepping out. Some of you are like, well, I was going to, and then you made it like this big deal. I want to make it a big deal. No false starts. If you're going to step out and say, I'm doing, I'm committing to this, I want you to step out and say, I'm doing this. I'm starting this. Do you think it was easy for people to start some of the ministries that were started here? Do you think His Hands Extended was an easy ministry to start? When, when Melissa had to take over His Hands Extended for Mary, do you think that was easy to take over someone like Mary? When Casey had to start mops, do you think it was easy to start mops at a new church when she's never been the lead she's been a part of? On and on. I could ask over and over and over people who stepped up when it was hard. No false starts today. If God's calling you, we've already had someone answer the call. Who else is going to answer the call? Here's what I'm going to do. As Pastor Caleb's singing, if you feel like God's calling you to start something, to do something, to be involved in something, I want you to just begin to make your way between you and God, what you start. If you want to tell me later, great. If you don't want to tell me, that's fine. But right now, these altars are open. I want you to just begin. To, and as you come to the front, here's what I want you to do. God, lead me. God, not my way, but yours. God, give me the, the mental capacity to know what to do. Give me wisdom according to James 1, 5. God, give me knowledge of what to do. Lead me by, Lord, lead my footsteps, where you want me to go. God, Lord, today I'm yours. I'm surrendering everything. Just give it all to him. Go ahead,